Beethoven once said, the guitar is a miniature orchestra in itself. Yeah, I'm starting off with a quote from Beethoven, but don't get used to it. We're not highbrow all the time. I'm sure next week's show will kick off with a clever quip from Richard Grieco. <laughs> so yes, the guitar, back to the guitar. It is indeed like a miniature orchestra. Well, it also turns out it's a pretty good muse for a collection of miniature stories, which, in the literary world, are just called short stories. Or, as Richard Grieco once said, tales of the night that both resolve and conflict the human heart. No, he never said that. But not bad, imaginary Richard Grieco. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. is The Music of the Police, a band which featured my guest today on the program, Andy Summers. Let me tell you a little bit about Andy Summers. The British-born Andy Summers started loading up his musical CV at the age of 16. Inspired by seeing Thelonious Monk and Dizzy Gillespie live in London, the young guitarist set out on the road, and the road welcomed him warmly. After a few years playing live in local clubs, he moved to London and formed Zoot Money's Big Roll Band. Is that the same band that turned into the acid rock outfit Dantelion's Chariot, you might ask? Well, you're a step ahead of me because that's exactly the band that turned into the acid rock outfit Dantelion's Chariot. You must kill at pub quizzes. From there, Summers joined Soft Machine, he toured the U.S. with them for a few months, then he came back to London and joined the Animals for one record, 1968's Love Is. He then took a break from the rock and roll lifestyle to study classical guitar for five years at Cal State Northridge. After graduation, he moved back to London, played with Kevin Coyne, Joan Armitrading, Neil Sedaka, and Kevin Ayers. Summers joined the police in 1977, and Summers' life was... Putting it mildly, never the same. The Police put out five albums, sold 80 million of them, won six Grammys, toured the world, and at one point in 1983, they were arguably the biggest band on the planet. They went on hiatus in 86, came back 22 years later for a massively successful tour, then officially called it a day in August of 2008. I know you're wondering, so I'm going to tell you, yes, they remain friends. Everybody likes everybody else. They just don't make music together anymore. 
But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees remain one of the most successful bands of all time. As for Summers, he never stopped working. Like, ever. He's put out close to 15 solo albums, collaborated on record with Robert Fripp, John Etheridge, Tony Childs, Carly Simon, and Sting. Yes, that Sting. He also did the soundtracks for The Wildlife and Down and Out in Beverly Hills. He put out several books of photography, and he published a fabulous autobiography called One Train Later. If you haven't read that, you must. But before you do that, read Andy's new book, Fretted and Moaning, a fabulous collection of short stories where the main character, common denominator, thematic throughline, hero, and villain is the guitar, filled with the ego-driven, the confident, the unconfident, the winners, the losers, the girls, the boys, the hopes, the dreams, the disappointments, the hilarious, and the tragic, fretted and moaning is written with the kind of narrative velocity that will make you finish it in one sitting. It's funny, it's hopeful, it's sad, it's comforting, and it's alive with aspiration, inspiration, and heart. It also showcases Summer's brilliant ear for dialect. His characters are alive and real. They're filled with frustration and longing, triumph, and heartbreak. It's, frankly, one of my favorite books of the year. All right, that was a longer intro than we normally do, but good God, we've got Andy Summers here. So let's have a chat with him, shall we? Here's me and Andy Summers having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I think the last time I was there, I did a photograph show at the Leica Gallery. Uh, was it? I don't know if it was last year. I think it was the year before last in April. So what would that make it? April 19, I think. Yeah. I'm always meaning to come up because I really enjoy being there. Um, I must do that, actually. I like just coming up and hanging around, taking photographs. Yeah. It's a, such a beautiful city to uh, photograph in. Great. Yeah, lots of lots of cool things to do up here. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, um, congratulations on the book. I I really loved it. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I really I thought to myself, boy, Andy used the COVID lockdown. He used his time wisely. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it was written before the before that ever happened. It was sort of underway to get published by then. But. Um, yeah, at least uh, I've got something going on during this very strange and sort of boring and tragic time. Uh, you know, I'm interested to see where it goes. You know, he has this situation, you know, the world's different. I mean, this guy, the publisher, I should say, it, you know, does an awful lot of work on the uh, social media to to sell his books, which is sort of a different approach, but he's very successful. So I'm, you know, just going along with the whole thing and sort of enjoying it actually. Did you did you tinker with it over COVID or did you just leave it alone entirely? 
No, I think it was pretty much all, you know, I mean, of course, when you say tinker, I mean, writing is really about rewriting and then rewriting again. Right. So that's the way you get it to, you know, just like playing music, doing takes in a recording studio. It's a parallel process, but yeah, it's all in the writing. I would, um, you know, have different takes on it. I had a few at the beginning that were written probably 10 years ago and, you know, showed them to a few people. I got a lot of enthusiasm for them, and, but didn't really do an awful lot about it. Then a couple of years, three years ago, maybe I started uh, doing them again on stage and then I got more encouragement. So in the end, I just thought, well, you know, I should really take this idea and, and expand it into, you know, a collection of short stories, if you like. So I started with something and I sort of had the idea in mind of, you know, using the guitar as a, not necessarily a central character, but a peripheral character or a character in each story around which, you know, people's lives and relationships would revolve one way or the other. And so, you know, that was sort of the very general idea, but then of course you have to get down to it and come up with uh, very specific ideas. And, you know, but I did, I, I enjoyed the whole process. Yeah, the, the guitar is sort of like the engine that drives each story. Exactly, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's in there somewhere or the other. Yeah, and it is. And, and by the way, on the, on the subject of tinkering, my, my first book came out, I did a reading, and as I was doing the reading, I was changing things as I was doing the yeah. reading. And so yes. I wonder, you know. Well, you know, it's, it's, it is so interesting with that because it's, uh, yeah, and you, the, the words you've written, for instance, as you're saying, you try them in another context and you go, you know, I've, got, I've just got a different take on this now, what to right. do. It is amazing how that works. And um, I spent quite a lot of time last year writing my, uh, not writing, um, reciting, I suppose, you know, doing an audio book of my um, book, One Train Later, which is essentially an autobiography. And I did it. And as I, uh, you know, read it all the way through the whole 350 pages, I found that um, I changed some of the sentences as I went because they could be slightly awkward, not okay on the reading page, but not you know, on the written page, I should say, but when you're reading them, you know, as it's sort of acting them into a microphone, you, you want to sometimes simplify them or they come out a little bit different. So yeah, I think the context is very important. You know, I'm a writer, not a musician. Does it work the same way with music? I mean, I imagine if you're playing live, you could change oh, a few things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the old the old thing on that is, boy, I wish we'd played this album six months on stage before we recorded it because we were playing it so much better now. You know, we all go through this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in The Police, don't even go there. Um, we never really, well, I mean, to, to a point you're going to play what's on the record, but we never felt like that we were slaves of... Uh, the recording itself we would do whatever we wanted with the song on stage yeah i would imagine that revision is just a part of life you, you always wish you said something different to somebody or you you know i think revision is just a natural instinct that we have as well humans. maybe yeah well i think maybe you're right and um yeah as time goes on and you learn more and you know there's um space and perspective that's where you get to do the good revisions. Like a very, you know, a small concrete example of that was, okay, you're in the studio as a musician recording, a lot of notes, melodies, rhythm, you know, you make a track. And, you know, some musicians, I used to notice this, 
want to take the track home and play it at night, listen to it a lot, and then come back next day to fix it or whatever. I'm at the opposite school where I, I think don't listen to it at all. Come in tomorrow and you'll, you'll know what's wrong with it or right with it maybe either way but you need that perspective of time and space and you see things fresh so yeah. put the work down sometimes then come and leave it you know leave it for a couple of days and come back and you're going to make a much better decision that's the the old editorial distance that, that you well know. is that what you call it yeah yeah uh, well absolutely yeah fact, you know it's weird that you say that well not weird but i just got the the um publisher just sent me the book you know the first sort of and what they call it um it's got to be it's not completely perfect there's a few mistakes that you know the printing place didn't get right or something but just reading it now i thought oh let me read it i'm going to read my book now it's a book <laughs> like instruction itself and I, th I already thought oh i would write that sentence a little bit different now <laughs> wish i caught that yeah yeah but yeah you know but you know the the sort of Sisyphusian element of that is that if you changed it, then on Saturday you'd want to change it again. Yeah, yeah. There's no end to it. It it is. It's just never ends. You know. No. And it's the same with me. It's the same with records. You know, you you can go on perfecting a track forever and ever and ever until you know suddenly it's this corpse. <laughs> just leave it. Yeah. That's yeah. It. That's it. Yeah. I, I would imagine that. I mean, I, most musicians I've, I speak to don't listen to their records, so it's interesting you had the impulse to try to read the book. Well, it was. Uh, yes, it is. You know, I think last night I picked it up quite late at night and started reading one sort of thing. Weird. I thought I was so sick of these stories because I had to spend so much on them, and I was reading it in this book and I was sort of enjoying it. It surprised me. I don't know what it was. The context of the book itself. And the fact is, I haven't looked at them for ages. In fact, I had to print the list of titles out. I thought, well, okay, I'm going to start doing interviews. I better remember what they're called. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, I move, I do one project or whatever, and then I move straight on to the next one, and that one's over now. So my spark in my head is all is already on the new thing, not the, the last thing, because I feel like I did it, you know. But in this case, of course, it serves the cause of promotion and interviews so at least know the titles of the stories in fact i don't i don't know well, what what is the new thing right now that you're at work uh, on? well actually yeah writing wise i've got i've got an idea for a screenplay that i've been nursing for a while and i was going to do something about this idea i had and i won't really get into specifics here but um with sort of a different medium, but as the story progressed in my head, the whole narrative of the story. So now I think I'm, I'm sort of slightly on fire with it and I want to um, turn it into a screenplay. So, yeah, because it seems to me that when, when I interview musicians about a new album, the album has been done for two years. So it's, it's sometimes there's always a new project being sort of bubbling. Yeah, well, you know, in fact, my next CD, and this is the longest gap I've had in, I can't even think when, um, is going to come out in October. It's called Harmonics of the Night. And, uh, but I made it about a year and a half ago. And because of the pandemic and everything, and everything that's gone on, it's, it's taken this long to get it out. But it will, yeah. it's coming out in October. And, you know, hopefully I can do something about, about it playing wise. I'm not sure yet. 
did did these stories when you strung them together did it sort of change the way you think about your relationship to the instrument uh no i don't think so really it didn't change mine you know i'm definitely a player i play every day and i'm i have a student you know uh no i don't think it did i but you know i've been through so many variations of people and guitars in my life that you know you know, I, I guess, you know, when I really started to focus, how can you make this into a story? So many like incidents, anecdotes, things you go, you know, life with a guitar that it was like a lot of raw material sitting in my head. And then I could, how can you turn this into a book? And so then, you know, I mean, I literally started trying to come up with ideas, you know, which would be what you might call the point of departure for the story character, you know, like a young kid or, I mean, I did some, you know, I did a surfing guy in this, you know, like a, someone like the great surf guitar player, um, Japanese guy. I, I just came up with different things. And, you know, it doesn't always have, you don't, you know, come to your laptop with a perfectly formed story in your head. You, you have to kind of work at it a bit. But I, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't necessarily uh, write with the whole scaffolding laid out. This has got to happen by page 17. This is, that's more like screenplay writing. Right. But I write more naturally, you know, and things uh, I find once you get into it, they just sort of present themselves. They just arrive in your head. Or you do a certain amount of writing. And the other thing is, and then put it down and go and, watch TV for an hour or something, and suddenly you've got the idea that you're looking for, they just spring up. You you have to um, get the process moving in the, in the subconscious, I suppose. Well, what I love about the book is that you, you reinforce the mythical quality of the guitar and you also break it down. Yeah. Um, it happens in both, in both ways. And, you know, that sort of thing where a guy with a guitar uh, can leave a girl in tears, but it could also, leave a guy saying, I hate this thing. Um, yeah. You know, so you have you have both things at work, but the surfing story reminded me so much of John Fogarty um, because oh. I, I think John Fogarty is a genius, right? An absolute genius. But when I hear him talk about his work, I do, I, it's, it's not something that he's not sort of, um, the genius isn't coming through in his explanation of, of his art. And, and it's, it's not incumbent on him to do that. I'm just saying it doesn't come through. Um, and so in that story, I kept thinking about, well, it's so amazing to listen to Fogarty play, but not that amazing to listen to him talk about it. Well, maybe he's not very articulate, but he's, he doesn't have the ability to articulate his, you know, about his music. I mean, I doubt that Jimi Hendrix did either, but he was a fantastic genius musician, you know. I mean, you know, a myth is that, you know, if you're highly intelligent and intellectual, you're going to be um, artistically gifted. Not at all. Right. So the most artistically gifted people are not necessarily intellectual or even educated. They just have a, a complete natural um, ability for the art. I mean, so it does surprise me what you say about Fogarty, but there's probably a lot of musicians that you could name like that. I mean, probably a lot of so-called genius musicians wouldn't be very articulate. They had to write out what they thought or they were being interviewed. Um, you know, it's sort of a different medium. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's interesting to me because I think like, you know, Fogarty is channeling something he's, and he can't explain it and he he doesn't need to, you know, the music speaks for itself. Yeah, um, that's, you know, that's his gift, yeah. It's absolutely. his gift. And in Surfing USA, where, where it's sort of like, it kind of reminds me of the same thing where it's sort of like this, this reporter is projecting all these things onto the way the guy plays and the guy's like, I don't know, I just play. 
Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about what's this? Who's the famous surf guitar player? You know? uh, Dick Dale? Yeah, Dick Dale. It was just a sort of funny take on, well, Dick Dale's very good right around here, actually. Um, that whole kind of surfing mentality, Southern California and all that. And he's just this guy, he just does that stuff. So it's just, you know, in England, it's, well, it's, it's not as cruel as what we in England we'd call a piss take. It's just a sort of funny look at that kind of subculture, I suppose, of surf, surf guitar and surfing and all that. Yeah, I like all the all those genres that are represented here. I mean, I, I talked to Robbie Krieger about a year ago and he told me that, and I was thinking this about in the story Maximum Bass, where he was saying those reggae players of the 60s are some of the most underrated guitar players. And that yeah. story made me think of them. Do you, do you think that's true? Um, I'm not sure what Robbie is referring to, actually. If he, I'm not quite on board with that, you know, because I, I never heard personally brilliant guitar coming out of reggae music. Uh, and one of the things for me is that if you're a guitar player in a reggae band, mostly all you're going to play is the offbeat. You're going to, you know, a chord with an offbeat rhythm. It's not virtuoso guitar soloing. There wasn't much room for that in reggae at all. You know, I like reggae to a point, but, you know, I'm not drowning in it. Um, the uh, maximum bass, yeah, I guess the guy, you know, it's a guy and a girl and they go there and he's completely, you know, totally down with Bob Marley and all that stuff. And he ends up in that studio, which was slightly based on a truth. Well, it's not my truth, but I went to that studio and I stood there and it was some of the way I talk about that studio was exactly how it was. I, I'd never forget it. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, you couldn't see it from one side of the room to the other for you know, marijuana smoke. <laughs> Hilarious. Very and nothing was happening. Yeah, anyway. I would imagine that all that marijuana smoke would, would not be good for your playing. You would think, but yeah. um, those guys seem to thrive on it. That was, you know, it was, it was a total vibe thing, you know. And they did play eventually. Well, I played too, actually. I played with uh, uh, Damien Marley. In Lotus position, there's a moment where, where Dawson says, I hate the guitar. Have you ever in your career had that level of frustration where you said, I got to put this thing down. I'm, I'm so frustrated with it. Um, well, you can see, obviously he's not a player and he's not really, you know, and he's a guy who loves it, but he just, he's just don't have the talent for it. I don't, that wasn't really my case. I mean, there may have been moments when I was trying to get some difficult piece of music, you know, onto the guitar and it was, okay, gonna have to really work at this. No, I, uh, Depends where you want it. No one ever masters it. It's not an instrument you can master. People can play extremely well on it, but it's a slippery little thing. It just will always get out. There's always more, you know. And, you know, people say, oh, this person's the greatest guitar player in the world. No, there's no such thing. They play well in that style, but they can't play other things, you know. So the, all these things about the guitar are crazy, you know, and misguided a lot of what, what a lot of people think. Yeah, I, I spoke to Steve Hackett actually a while back and he told me that he practices every day. And, and I'm glad to hear that you say that you, you play every day as well. Yeah, yeah, I, it would be rare for me not to pick up the guitar. You know, sometimes I practice assiduously. Actually, what I'm doing now, which is great fun for me, and this is real use of the pandemic. You know, I have a son who is uh, more grown up now, but he played for 10 years as a kid, as a drummer. And only one day he said, oh dad, why don't we play? You know, because he, he, he actually is a, martial artist and uh, 
he teaches all over Los Angeles. You know, he's a virtuoso martial artist in many styles, but he plays drums. So we have, for me, and it's been great for me, we've got during this strange time to play, you know, a few times a week. You know, I have another setup at home where we have a drum kit because I play drums as well. And he comes down and, we, and we, we've built up a whole set list of songs we play, all kinds of things. So it's actually been great for me because there's something about playing with somebody else. You know, I can sit and play, practice and do all kinds of things, just playing with a metronome. But I, I love playing with my kid. You know, it's like a real drummer in the room with me. And uh, so, yeah, you know, that's really good. But I, yeah, I always practice. I, I practice. I enjoy it. I like playing the guitar, you know, whether I'm sitting with a classical guitar and working through a piece of bark or if I'm just, you know, playing solos over chord changes. But I like to I like to play. I was thinking about how whether it's guitar or photography or writing, uh, you've chosen things that cannot be mastered. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, this is the infinite lure of the arts, I suppose. And you spend your whole life doing it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What can one say? One likes a challenge. I, I mean, I enjoy the things that I get involved with. You know, I've been doing photography since almost the first day of the police. I started to get pretty serious about it. And, you know, I've had a whole sort of sub career doing that and stuff coming up. In fact, we're working on a photography book here today. Always made records. And I'm not good at any of it, but I keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, writing is is such a non-democratic process, um, you know, compared to being in a band. Uh, do, do you like the sort of solitary nature of writing? Actually, I do. Yes, once I, you know, you know you're, you're working, you're actually writing sentences, constructing sentences, trying to make sure you've got the right perspective on the story, all the bits connect. I, yeah, it's very much like music. It's very creative. I mean, I mean, the kind of thing I want to do. I mean, I'm not writing, you know, journalism or about politics or anything. So I, I, I really enjoy it when I'm in it, you know, really doing it. I like, I like to sort of be in the thick of it all. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I've got this new story in my head and I, it, little bits keep popping up to me, you know, and I can't wait to get it all down into a, you know, fully realized form. So, yeah, I, I mean, well, I mean, I live in LA. I'm surrounded by people who do this kind of thing. So <laughs> you know, this is why they come here. This is where you, this is the outlet. Yeah, no, I, I am very driven by any sort of creative process. It's sort of what keeps me going. My guess about you is that you're a pretty avid reader. Is that is that a correct characterization you know i'm an avid non-stop reader for sure you know i just go from one to to the other you know it's always something um you know this year i read well actually i read the odyssey which wow fantastic yeah and of course you know i think i looked at it as a teenager but i actually this year sat and read the whole thing from cover to cover and it's sort of life-changing I feel that it sort of dented my soul, actually. I'll definitely read it again. I think I'm going to read it every year. Um, I'm just looking at what I read this year. You know, I reread re all the, um, what's his name, Sam? Um, great American writer. Oh. Uh, okay, Sam. Um, 
Oh, I read Oblomov. That was great. Sam Shepard, I read, reread all the Sam Shepard books for some reason. I really like his writing. Great American, back the West. I read a great Japanese writer called Osama Datsai. Been great. Murakami, the Japanese writer, is one of my favorites. Uh, you know. Yeah, Murakami's great. What, what, yeah. what, what brought you to the Odyssey, just out of curiosity? I don't know. It's. Um, I think I saw a, an edition of the book that was very attractive, a sort of high-class paperback. I was actually attracted to the, the way the book looked. And <laughs> apparently it was like, is it by a guy called uh, Robert Fagels? That, so I sort of looked that all up and I thought, okay, I'm going to you know, take this on because it, it's, they're massive works and you know, you're not going to get them th through them in a weekend. You've got to really bear down on it. I'd, I'd already read the Iliad. Which, uh, you know, to me, and I've read most of the um, the Aeneid too. The Odyssey is the really great one, I think. I, I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading that. Going to be a, pro a yearly project for me. You know, it definitely did something to me. Yeah, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible. You were saying it dented your soul. Do you know why, or do you, were you surprised? There's something. That it... There's I don't know. It's you know like. Um, it almost felt like being, you know, standing next to a sort of ancient tree, you know, like a primal, a tree in a primal forest, primeval forest. Like it's so deep and ancient. And, it, you know, this literature goes back so far in, you know, history of human humans. I think that's somehow that what touched me. I don't know how well one can express that, but I've, because so many people quote the Odyssey, you know, writers and cultured people. But in fact, um, I, I sort of got why when I read it, finally, all the way through. And I and, great, great uh, translation. And there is a musical moment in the book where Odysseus is in uh, disguise and the bard is singing songs about Odysseus's yes. exploits, right? Good, yeah. Right? And then yes, Odysseus I'm... turns to him and Odysseus says, sing another one, you know, about Odysseus. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do a gig here.
finishing playing with your son, do you find that when you play with different people that you play differently? Oh, yeah. No, because it gets down to real music specifics where you feel the time. You're a little ahead of the beat. I like to play really behind the beat. I mean, you know, especially all that. That's kind of like talking about drummers. But, you know, um, the feeling for time, I think, for me, in terms of playing with other people, is, is really the most important thing. You know, that's when you know if you can, let's say, groove with somebody, you're really connecting and you're feeling it the same way. That's the most primal and the most important element. I mean, then other elements like, you know, if you're going to play sophisticated music, I mean, how harmonically sophisticated is, is someone? How good are you at altering the chord changes and putting interesting extensions on them, making me have to think twice because then I'm going to have to play different scales over those chords? Or, you know, how well do you accompany? Do you, you know, all, the, all these kind of levels of real genuine um, musical learning and talent come in once you get past like are we able to like swing together or not you know yeah because i i find if I, i'm a tennis player and i find if i play certain people i play differently depending on how they play yes i played a lot of tennis which again i think is a kindred soul to music the greatest game as far as i'm concerned and uh yeah you've got a certain amount of physicality and technique Benzu. <laughs> who you play with and it all comes out differently, actually. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, I, yeah. How, um, how hard on you in terms of, are you hard on yourself when you, whether it's your photography or your writing or your music, are you, how critical are you of your performances? I'm, I'm pretty critical, a absolutely. I, I think you, you have to be your own greatest critic. Um, you know, uh, whatever I do, of course, as far as I'm able to and, and understand it, I try for a standard of excellence, I suppose, that's how you'd phrase that. Yeah, I'm very uh, particular about, you know, when I'm recording, you know, the sounds we got where things are and also my perspective on it, you know, because recording is very it's similar to writing, you know, I'll record a track and I'll, okay, we need a different bridge here. Let me, okay, I'm gonna to go to a completely sort of outlying key that you wouldn't think would work with this. So it's like we're jumping a bridge across the river into this strange new land and let's see if that works. And then, you know, I come back two days later and in fact, it didn't work at all. <laughs> you know, or no, what it needs is a melodic fragment. I don't know, I mean, it's writing of music and um, yeah, you, you know, because it is an art but also it's a craft. So you're going to like hope for a real inspirational thing and that you would have your, that ability within you, you know, theoretically to respond to this call um, or you just kind of craft it out and, and finally you're working to a place where you, you're satisfied with it. I think that's the same in painting, same in, in writing, you know, there's parallels to all of these things. It's good to train in one medium, I think, very well. And I, I often said this in interviews, you know, you know, well, well, you know, photography, music, you know, well, I, I like to think, I mean, this might all be fantasy, that because I sort of trained in music and learned so much about it, that I was able to bring some of that thinking and, uh, you know, theoretical ideas over into photography, you know. Um, 
when should it be rough? When should it be smooth? Do you want it to be more asymmetrical? Do you want it regular? Do you, you want it more black? Do you want to make it lighter? Do you want a dark harmony or should we go light? You know, all these kind of things. It looks like you're so, um, yeah, I think it's yeah. all parallel. I mean, there's certainly the common denominator is discipline. I mean, you, you seem like an incredibly disciplined guy. Well, I have been. Um, yeah, I mean, as a person, I say, I'm probably, I think it's fair enough to say creatively driven to do stuff, because I think that's what keeps me going. And it does take a certain amount of discipline. Uh, you know, I don't get up in the morning and play 10 hours of scales. I don't, because I'm pretty much got it, you know, but I do play every day. And there, you know, there are periods where I go, let me, you know, I'm just gonna work at this one thing that's really, you know, kind of difficult to do on the guitar and I'll just practice it for a while, you know. You know, I suppose you could take, you know, as a parallel, certain things in um, writing, you know, just to write descriptive, write 10 descriptive essays about doorways or something, you know, and you just could come at it and just really see what you can do. It's all about, you know, uh, you know, in a simple phrase, building your chops. Right. Yeah. Right. And in terms of writing, did you feel, because I, I love your language, your humor, mm -hmm. uh, you write with, with real momentum and, uh, and velocity. I mean, this book is just, I mean, I finished it in, in a night. Um, okay. It has tremendous pace. Yeah. And I think that, but did you feel, do you feel more comfortable with dialogue or do you feel more comfortable with descriptive writing? Like, where do you think your strength is? Yeah, that's an interesting, um, uh, that's an interesting question. Well, I mean, with certain, things like vernacular speech you know i've been around a lot of different characters like there's one in there with a scottish roadie which you might remember <laughs> yeah yeah roadie and blinding all the way through the whole <laughs> thing about it. the bloody band he's working for you know but of course i was around you know like all british bands had roadies from glasgow back in the day so uh, you know that was kind of fun for me to put together, uh, you know, because I, you know, it's still ringing in my ears, if you like. Yeah. Language. And there's probably a few more in there. Um, you know, the one I, why, I mean, there's a couple that I enjoyed writing in this line of thought was um, the one that I did that's sort of like a Murakami outtake where the guy is in the bar and a beautiful woman comes in and she knows the Kenny Burrell record he's playing. Mm. He makes remarks about it and he can't believe it. And they both go into this sort of, um, the, these um, speeches that Bogart made, you know, lines from Bogart in his various films. And she comes back at, they both, they pass them backwards and forwards. And I thought of this guy as a sort of like in one of those Murakami narrators. So that, that was, I wrote that in about an hour, actually. I wrote that one quickly. It came, it just popped into my head one night. And um, the other one I was thinking of was, which took a bit more to do, was the one about the um, Dobro guitar, because I wrote it in this voice, and I was thinking of a kind of, you know, American movie, like hood-like voice, you know, like kind of a Bogart outtake of, um, the guys are, you know, he joins a Hawaiian group, and he, but he's really from Chicago with the mobsters and all that, but he happens to play music. Uh, so that, that was fun to keep that voice in there. He, you know, uses that kind of uh, gangster terminology a lot. Yeah, because some of the stories are very, the first few are very American, and then some are very British. And I thought, you know, it's not a surprise that you have- Well, yeah, I mean, no, somebody else asked me that. I said, yeah, no, I mean, it's getting confusing. I'm definitely an English person. <laughs> and, uh, 
no question about that. But um, I've lived in America for quite a large portion of my life. So, yeah, I mean, so it's, you know, that's just the way it came out that, you know, sort of half British, half, half US. Hopefully the guitar itself and the writing will unite all these things. Yeah, well, I mean, being a musician, you have a great ear, and I think it helps as a writer to have a great ear as well. That's, a, um, you know, you can capture a lot of different, um, yeah, right? Absolutely, and, you know, I, I, you know, in some sort of subconscious way, I think, you know, when I'm looking at well-written sentences, interesting sentences, the structure of sentences, I think I'm looking for something that appeals to me almost on a musical level you know all art aspires to the condition of music and i think that's absolutely true so it starts to feel good to me when it it kind of the writing sort of comes off the page that way but i think it's to some extent well you know you know i i think i look i've you know i'm a non-stop reader so but i do do look read books now certainly with a slightly eye to the you know, not just getting caught up in the story and just rolling through the pages, but looking at the way people, you know, certain writers construct sentences and put them together and all that. And you find, um, you know, you start having a certain, a taste for a certain kind of style. Like I think Sam Shepard writes wonderful, very seemingly casual sentences. He mostly writes about the American West, but they're wonderful. Some of those sort of very funny too. I also love Martin Amos, who is mm. a brilliant man and a brilliant writer and constructs amazing, great sentences. Also Jeff Dyer, great English writer. I love Very, Dyer, yeah. yeah. Have you read the last one? No, I just finished his one on D.H. Uh, Lawrence. Oh, I read that, great. Yeah. He, he, he almost doesn't talk about D.H. Lawrence. He finally gets there in the sort of <laughs> fucking around in Rome or somewhere with his girlfriend. Right. But the new one is um, it's called Broadsword Calling Danny Boy. And it's about, it's about this um, movie called um, Where Eagles Dare. And it's his take on this ridiculous movie. It's got, I think it's got um, Richard Burton in it. Maybe it's Richard Burton and... Um, Who's a great, you know, American. Very funny as he goes through it, sort of the whole film and all the ridiculous stuff that, and, that is in it. It's definitely one to check out. It's absolutely fun, hilarious to read. I love Dyer. I love his balance of humor is, yeah. is so great. Uh, yeah. Another guy I really like is Paul Murray. Have you read this guy? Oh, no. Oh, he had, oh, there's a book he wrote called An Evening of Long Goodbyes. Um, no. And he's a British writer as well. And it's absolutely one of the best books I've read in 50 years. Oh, it's incredible. Okay, I'm noting that, Paul Murray. I'm gonna go down to the bookstore in a minute. And check check that one out. There, There's something about, you know, I'm a writer and if I'm at a cafe with a pen, a girl does not look at me, but a guy with a guitar gets yeah. a lot of looks. And I think that this book really does capture that sort of, again, that, that romance that happens. You must have always known in your life that you know, a guy with a guitar is a is a powerful is a powerful yeah, it, image. It's it, a bit of a babe, babe. You're not supposed to say these things anymore. <laughs> a babe magnet, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you you know they're more interested. Yeah, you're more interesting. You know what? What's you know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 
Yes. And I wonder, you know, sometimes I, I, I wonder what, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know why that is such a symbol of, uh, of has such power, but, it, but apparently it, it's always has. Well, I don't know, you know, a guitar, you know, is it more romantic and it's this kind of thing out there whereas a guy with a, with a computer, you know, a laptop or a, you know, a pen, it's not going to have quite the same feel. No, That's doesn't. so obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, even if you lit that pen on fire, it still wouldn't attract a girl the way a guitar does. Yeah. It's, well, I've been lucky. What can I say? <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. too far down this route in this PC world. <laughs> yeah. um, there is a moment in the book that uh, I wanted to ask you about where a, a girl says, I think it's Polly, where she says, I only sleep with Yes fans. And uh, oh, yeah. Andy, I've been to a Yes concert and there were no girls there. Yeah. Yeah, now that's funny you should say that because there are things that about there are bands that that are yeah, it's so depressing. You know, if it's like a sort of prog rock band, your prog rock is big on males. Oh my god. I mean, if you're in the band, <laughs> at least this is what it used to be, you're hoping you're gonna get nothing but swooning females, and you get all these guys looking at you and watching your hand on the neck of the guitar because they want to be able to do that. And they're trying to figure out what it is that you're doing. You know, this is the way it's been for years. But yeah. Yeah. But you know what's funny is I went to a yes, and then a week later I saw Duran Duran, and there were no guys there. Uh, well, I can't understand that really. But, you know, Duran Duran, my God, <laughs> awful, bloody awful. Um, yeah, but it it is a phenomenon. You know, all these guys turn up. They want to they want to figure out what you're doing so they can do it. Maybe they can attract more guys in their own time. I don't know. It's very. I imagine you, you must know the guys in Yes, though, right? Not really. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, I was around a couple of them. I think I knew Steve Howe early on a little bit. And uh, I know we did a concert together in Paris, you know, two different bands. And I think it was with um, Tomorrow. And um, the bass player, yeah, who died, unfortunately. And, oh, yeah, Bill Bruford, of course. I No, it was, no Bill Bruford wasn't in Yes, was he? No, he was in um, Crimson. Yeah. No, I don't really know. I, I did meet John Anderson one late one night in Laurel Canyon. How was uh, he? Well, he was kind of weird with me. I thought he was very snotty, actually. And now it's weird because I put him in this book. I mean, you know, I don't really against John Anderson. I mean, he did that job very well. Like no one else could have done it. He, you know, he made that. Well, I mean, it was really... No, they were very good in a way at that stuff. I can't, you know, you you can't, you know, what's the bass player called? Chris, very distinctive. Oh, Chris Squire. Yeah, I mean, you know, Alan White. I mean, they were absolutely the right people in that band all playing together. And I think it got really good when Steve Howe joined up with them. That's when it started to move somewhere. But as you know, in the book, I write this funny story about the guy writing about punk rock like this is the only thing that counts this is the this is the way actually you know he writes fiercely about all that and um he's really a prog fan <laughs> goes off to see the yes concert yeah. <laughs> I, you know i just had a shock about i don't know a week ago somewhere in some magazine uh, i know it was a guitar magazine or what john anderson said i was his favorite guitar player um now, I don't know whether he was taking the piss or whether he really meant it, but I went, oh, God, it's very funny. That that's all what goes around comes around sort of thing. Anyway, well, 
What was your meeting with Mike? What was that run-in? Oh, is it? No, it was just one of those things. That, you know, some somewhere late at night in someone's house in Laurel Canyon in L.A. Yeah. Um, do you have conversations with friends over the years about playing guitar? Are you friends with other players, or is that something that? Oh, yeah. is no, I am. I, you know, I've known many and played with many. I, I, I like playing. Generally, I like playing with other guitar players. I've got a young, younger guy here in um, LA that I like to play with. He's brilliant and very uh, harmonically sophisticated. So we get together from time to time and jam, you know, on tunes. You know, I mean, I'm not doing a lot of that because I think, you know, the times have sort of prevented it. You know, pre-pandemic, um, yeah, I played with a lot of people, but I'm not like circling around all over LA, you know, sitting in with loads of people. Um, not doing that. You know, I, I played for so many years, you know, all over the world, jazz clubs everywhere. I played a lot in LA. Um, that era seems to have passed. In fact, my new record and my last two records, I'm the only person on them. I play everything, drums, bass, all the guitar parts, obviously. You know, and I, I'm, although I'm now sort of reaching a point, maybe it's the pandemic era blues, if you like, where I really like to play with some people. So I've made these last few records are, you know, pretty sophisticated, uh, you know, and there's plenty of guitar solos and true improvising on them, but um, I'd like to you know, play, start playing. I think the next, I seem to see records in sets of three I'd like to think the next three records I'd like to make would be with a trio where it's all guitar and, you know, nifty guitar playing with great tunes. I, that's really sort of where I think I, I might go to next. Not quite and, there yet, but I probably working up to that. Yeah. It, yeah. It's interesting to see, like, as you know, your tastes change where sometimes as we get older, we, we know we try to get our stuff, you know, we get simpler in our attack or we get more complicated. Um, you know, in, or in terms of, you know, like I found that during the pandemic, I, you know, I'm 51, but I suddenly I wanted, I wanted to hear a lot of fast music. I didn't want to listen to Nick Drake. I wanted to hear really fast. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. You know? Well, you've got slow times. Maybe you need fast music. Maybe when yeah. it's really fast, you need to go. Maybe it's as simple as that, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, fast music. Yeah, that's interesting. How was it for you? Well, I listen to a variety of pretty esoteric music. Um, you know, I weirdly, I mean, you know, well, here's a really recent example, which I sort of found, I thought, God, I really hate pop music. Um, I, was just, I read a book on Kraftwerk, the, you know, the German electronica band. Sure. Yeah, you know they are. They're, very famous and very influential. So this guy, and he's a German guy, has read this book. You can, it's out there now. I just saw it and went, oh, actually, this looks really well written. So I picked it up and read it. So now I know a lot about craft work that I didn't know before, which, of course, led me to, this is modern life, it led me to driving in my nice Tesla and putting, I said, play craft work. So now I start to listen to all these craft work tracks. <laughs> The guy in the book writes about them like sublime melodies, this, you know, you know, and I listened to it. And I thought, God, this is so corny, this stuff. My God, really? So <laughs> stiff, you know, this kind of robotic, which is what they were trying to put across. And they were the sort of the first ones really doing it and very influential. But, you know, you know, the way these algorithms work, you go 
craft work, play this, and you just want to listen to craft work. Well, then it's like, no, it's called craft work radio. So they, the algorithm takes you to all these things that uh, it thinks you're going to like because you liked one craft work track, which is, you know, absolute anathema to a musician. So then I, I started to listen to all these sort of electronica British, a lot of British ones, pop bands like, I don't know, Human League, Depeche Mode was in there. Cult, The Cure. I mean, it's really, I thought, this is really naff music I'm not enjoying. I don't know. So I went through all these sort of robotic, sort of techno-pop bands, driving backwards and forwards to my house. Oh, I should listen to this shit. I thought, <laughs> I really can't stand this. I want something with some feeling in it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That was my last I, place. <laughs> I have to tell you, I am, I am not a, a fan either of Kraftwerk. I, I never got it. No, I don't get it. It, it. It's, you know, this guy's writing about it like it's this high art. It's actually a really corny synthesizer pass. And he goes, we spent five years making this track. I, Christ, I could have done that in five minutes. Really? <laughs> you know, what are you, what's, what's, yeah, either you're incredibly dense or what, you know, it's okay. It's, it just sounds very dated now. You know, autobahn. They go autobahn, barn, 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 autobahn. Here, uh, I think we should do a bit better. <laughs> yeah, I never got it. It, it never, yeah. it, it never registered with me at all. I didn't get that. I didn't get can. No, you know, yeah. Devo. I didn't get any of that stuff. Tangerine Dream, who I actually did a tour with, which was kind of hilarious. I this is a long time ago when I first moved to LA. Tangerine Dream still had some profile, but they were sort of a craft work ripoff, you know, the same sort of thing, three synthesizers and a drummer. And they were pretty miserable. I think for, I was doing a much more clever thing where I had all these pedals looped up and I was doing this sort of looping stuff and it was just me on the stage, uh, you know, but I was coming off the back of the police. So everybody was interested and, you know, they'd all watch me. And I did all this looping stuff, which was very tricky to pull off. And then Tangerine Dream would come on and believe it or not, they played to track, they weren't playing live. They were just standing there and yeah, it was all fake. And the great, the great night came, I remember cause it was at Massey Hall in Toronto, which is a nice hall to play in. And it's not that big, uh, you know, I mean, I made three, 2003 or whatever. And I did my show and I worked it all out. It went very well for me. Then they came on it. So I went, well, I'm going to come walk. I'm out the back. I left the theater and walked around a bit of Toronto, you know, for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And I came back. They were all sitting outside on the steps. And I said, What's, what happened? And they said, oh, the power went. We, you know, we can't play our recordings. We can't play. They literally had to stop because they could not play their, the tracks over the... <laughs> Yeah, it's like the synthesizer on stage weren't even plugged in. It's fantastic. Anyway, yeah. that's and an awful story about um, them. I didn't like them really, but anyway. Well, did you did you go in for bands like Oasis and Blur? Did you did that stuff? No, I never. I'd lost interest, and in, by that point, not really. No, I mean I must have taken a bit of interest, but I just thought it was pop music. I just didn't think anything was as good as the band I I had been in. Not as interesting. <laughs> Playing was more ordinary, you know. No, not yeah. hugely interested. Did you find yourself going back to older recordings, like go back to Django Reinhardt, go back to Hendrix, go back? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm from a certain era, but I, yeah, I grew up with a lot of great music. I was very 
into ECM, the music on the ECM label, you know, like Jan Garbarek and some of those players, people like that always liked. Obviously, you know, a lot of jazz guitar players I liked, all the great ones. Um, grew up with that, you know, because I like people like Coltrane and Sonny Rollins. And a lot of more exotic music, Indian music, African music, and sort of crossover. That's what I got more involved in. It's interesting that you went that you went. Indian music is really really complex. It is. It's it's very complex. I mean, it's a whole system that you know very difficult to learn. I I, I did kind of fish around in it for quite a while, but eventually thought, nah, man, I'll stick with the West and playing the guitar. What was your take on Mark Knopfler? great player well he played some good solos you know i mean i think he plays within a fairly limited medium he plays pop music i mean he's not a jazz player or anything like that but he plays with a really nice feeling i think he had a you know he plays with his thumb which is always a good idea because it gives you such a great um it, it's more soulful in a way i mean a lot of time depends what you're playing i play high speed with a pick I play a lot with my fingers and then sometimes on like a ballad or something, it's nice to play the solos with your thumb because you get a certain kind of, you immediately phrase differently when your thumb is in on the strings. And I always maintain this statement about, you know, playing the guitar, you know, it's really better to have your thumb or your fingers on the strings because you're in direct contact and the pick takes you is one remove. Not that there aren't fantastic pick players, of course there are. I, I sort of hybrid, I play a lot with my fingers and, you know, some with the pick. I'm sort of in the middle, like quite a lot of players, actually. I'm trying to think. I talked to Tom the Emmanuel. I'm trying to think how he plays. Well, he's a finger style player, very different right. kind of music. Yeah, he's very good at that sort of Chet Atkins style. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds to me like you kind of just lost your, your appetite for pop music. I feel like after the last few days, I have. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, that really threw me for a loop. Like, God, that's awful. What did I ever, did I ever seen anything in this? I mean, there are good pop bands, right? I mean, I, uh, I can't even think who I like really. I'm so critical. Um, um, yeah, don't know. Yeah, no, I think I have lost my appetite for it. Don't really want to listen to it very much. Well, I mean, the problem is when you program it into your, you know, I want to see what, what Kraftwerk sounds like, then the algorithm goes, oh, well, since you said you liked them, it's like, well, I never said I liked them. I was just curious. About what no, they I, I'm more interested in, in their eventual cultural impact and, and the fact that someone like Bowie kind of got what they were doing. And, and certainly Brian Eno, I think, took them. And then if you think of a band like Daft Punk, they completely ripped off Kraftwerk, you know, the, you know, the one thing you can say about Kraftwerk is they really are the, the the first ones doing that kind of thing. You know, living in some basement in Dusseldorf, that's what they did, you know. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me that the book did not enhance your experience of Kraftwerk. Well, no, I, did, I never took any interest in them. I mean, early on, I realized I, that kind of music wasn't for me. I was a guitar player. I like I liked more guitar music and, you know. Yeah. Get too antiseptic. Yeah, that kind of robot beat, you know, that four on the floor, doom, 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 which starts virtually everything at the same tempo. I mean, they did do some other things that are a bit more interesting, like Trans-European Express, where they made a kind of a rhythm out of a few different things they were hitting to get the effect. But it took them about five years to do it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, it's taken me, I just turned 51 and it's time for me to start listening to Kevin Ayers. I've never heard him before and he's been on my, I'm embarrassed to tell you that. Where should I start? Um, well, I advise you not to start really. Um, really? Yeah. What's great about Kevin Ayers? I, mean, I don't know. Everyone tells me I should hear him. Really? Yeah. Well, you could try it. You know, I mean, I have a very long intimate relationship with Kevin Ayers. So I know all about him. Um, but his music is a sort of droll light pop song take that's what it is you know he, he good lyrics i think he's more a better writer of lyric i mean there's not gonna be any music as such but i mean he had a moment in the mid to late 70s when he kind of hit his stride and then it sort of faded he just never wanted to do it actually he, he never would, wanted to be, do music, do, no, be he didn't want to work at it had no interest he was much more interested in the grape than actually playing a music <laughs> well look i appreciate your you taking the time and i i love the book and i i love the the scope of it yes. and um yeah. you know and again you have such a great ear because they're the stories are so varied and they're just all over the place and i think there's 45 of them which i thought you know was numerically significant because of a 45 record yeah, you know, you'll laugh. I mean, the, the, the published first eyes was 33. We had 33. I mean, he seemed to be thinking that very simple terms like 33 and a half or 45. All right. I said, well, I've got 45. I said, well, let's do that. I said, okay, if that's, if that's the, the association you want to make, you know, I won't argue with it. I actually had the 45 stories and I pared it down. But anyway, that's what we did. I still well, think the book's about 250 pages. So it's a decent sized book, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful book. Actually. It's very, very beautifully done. Yeah. He, he's very good. That guy. I'm quite, I got the first sort of rough copy a few days ago. The cover is killing. So good. Was, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Um, well, listen, congratulations. Yeah. Read Paul Murray. I think you'll love that. Book. I'm going to go down there and try and find one. There's a bookstore about 200 feet from my studio. So I'm going over there. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, uh, thank you for your time and uh, congratulations. All right, man. Take care. Andy Summers, not a fan of Kraftwerk. Uh, that was a great interview. I enjoyed that a lot. We covered so much. The Odyssey, Reggae, Duran Duran. What else is there? His new book. His new book is fantastic. Do what Andy's doing at the end of the interview. Go to your local indie bookshop and buy a copy. If they don't have it, they'll order it for you. Uh, andysummers.com is where you need to go to find out what's going on with Andy. He's a busy guy, so there's always a lot going on in the Andy Summers camp. I am not as busy as Andy Summers, but alexgreenonline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Of course, I always mention it here, too, but if you would prefer to read about it rather than hear about it, or both, listen, you can do both. You don't have to do one or the other, uh, you know. Listen to the podcast, go to the website. I would appreciate it. Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes our radio station tick. We're on 365 days a year, 
seven days a week. And of course, the math checks, that would be 24 hours a day. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Or you can email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Let's close the show with Andy doing an instrumental version of Message in a Bottle. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Mm-hmm.